We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 399. Next week is 400. We are brought to you today by BlueWirePods.com. Go check them out. That's our podcast network that we've been with for a couple months now. They have a ton of great sports content on there. And we're also brought to you by our last episode, the Michael King interview, uh, episode 398. We can just be brought to you by whatever the hell you want, Scott. No, I mean, the last one was good. I think... we're brought to you by Rhode Island, right? For the last one, there's there's a lot of things in that. If you haven't checked that one out, definitely go listen to uh, to the conversation that you had with with uh, with Michael King. Does he go by Mike? Michael? I think he goes by Mike, right? But it was fun. He's just a really laid back dude, and uh, you can tell that one he loves doing what he does, and I enjoy hearing the fact that you know he's got a lot of. It's not just it's just not just God given ability where this guy goes and throws a ball and it goes over the plate and it goes fast. There's a lot of work behind it. I mean, if you, most people understand that and know that, but when you hear him talk about it and you actually hear like the, the specifics of what they do and how they go about things and all the, uh, the different little elements that go into making a professional pitcher, it's very interesting. Uh, so I thought he was great. I love the stuff when he was talking about the working relationship he had with Higgy and like he referred to himself as a cerebral pitcher. 
and just like the the mindset going into different games and different at bats and approaches. I mean, that kind of stuff. I eat that shit up. Yeah. Oh yeah. You you uh, you became a fanboy from then on. I think. And I feel like I mean, it's cool. It's cool to hear someone talk about because uh, you're right. I mean, uh, they all have crazy ability yeah. to get to that level. You have to have crazy ability. Yep. And then it's just like a, they're in the top one percent of top one percent of top one percent when you reach that level already. There's so, so then, many baseball players in this world, uh, in this country. So many to reach the major leagues, to put on a major league uniform. You're it's you're in the elite percentile so then it's just a matter of the extra work to to differentiate differentiate yourself and then yeah there's the freaks right then there's just the freaks and you can never overcome some of the freak talents out there but most of the yeah most of the guys are not freak talents amongst the freak talents right you always have to like realize okay you're already a freak talent but then there's the freak talents amongst the freak talents the fact that you can you can throw that hard and your arm doesn't fall off or your elbow doesn't explode or your shoulder doesn't you know, rip from its, from its socket is, is, uh, I think for all of us who are mere mortals, that is, that is one of the biggest things because like, I don't even, I physically don't know how, how a a person can do that. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like the, 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 the the, the ability to do it over and over and over and over and over and over for that long is, is mind boggling to me because it hurts just thinking about it. It's very. It's a, it's not a natural motion. No, it's of not. The arm. The, so- it not the be softball motion way. is actually the natural motion. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Under. Underhand. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. So it's great if you have not checked it out. I know it came out on New Year's Eve day. So you know maybe you have not listened to podcasts over the last couple of weeks. But uh, George's box is also back. That came out on Wednesday. I was on with JJ, and he's going to have some rotating guests leading up to the season. Uh, before uh, the co-host is announced, so that that was we did like a two and a half hour show. Yeah, you guys, just you guys had a little forever. therapy session. At a certain point, I was like, "We're either going to end this, or I'm going to piss my pants." <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, lots of uh, lots of dog talk. Yeah, yeah, a lot of dog. <laughs> He's had cer- certainly the uh, the adventure over the past month and a half. Uh, quickly, before we get into some topics, just a reminder on our 2020 events: March 14th, spring training weekend. Pretty much, those tickets are sold out. Uh, there's a, there's a waiting list. People are in contact with us. But if you are not coming to the event or you have not already reached out for waiting lists and you're just going to be down there, definitely hit us up because we're going to have an after party on that Saturday evening. Everyone is welcome. We want to we want to get as many people there as possible. And then if maybe you're at the game on Friday, we're also going to be at the game on the 13th of March. And we can always just grab a beer, hang out. We're going to be roaming around the stadium. That seems to be what we do on that Friday day. Friday, 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 Friday. That's a night game, though. Yeah, it's a night game. It's a night game, though. I've never been to a spring training night game. Yes, you have. Last year. (laughs) No. Was it the Friday game of a night game? I was not there. Remember my Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. You did not make it. The um, so the game will be our seats are actually in right field for for that Friday game, too. So we'll be in like those rows um, out, out in right field. And then March, uh, May 9th, Saturday, May 9th, first regular season event at Yankee Stadium against the Red Sox. We have a special event in Trenton that we're doing. That's on Saturday, June 13th. And then Friday, June 26th against the Cubs. That should be a lot of fun as well. Go check those out on the website. The rest are still being worked through on the details. Anything you want to add to that? No, that's it. I think you got it. Go to the fan shop and buy some, sh- buy some T-shirts. <laughs> good, good plug there. We uh, are going to do a segment later today. I'm uh, calling it 20 questions for the 2020 Yankees. But before, we, we did get some news. So Herman's suspension came down. 
And it's 81 games, but obviously retroactive to last year when he missed the end of the season in the playoffs. So next year, he's going to miss 63 games to start the season, which means his first game of eligibility is June 5th when they're playing Tampa on that day. This is definitely a harsh punishment. 81 games is half a season to be suspended for. Yeah. And there's still a lot of details that have not come out around this. Really, really no details. Baseball... They obviously know more than the general public knows, but this penalty is harsh and rightfully so. It needs to be harsh for for something like domestic violence. Whether whether what he I don't want to get into well how severe was his domestic violence because I think that is that is such a, a ro- that's a road no one wants to go down and it's also not the point. You cross a line, you cross a line. You need to be penalized, right. and he he's been penalized. Yeah, uh, and the Yankees are standing by it by their statements that they're putting out, and I and I actually did like the statement the Yankees put out, basically saying we stand by Major League Baseball's punishment, and we hope that Domingo Herman will learn from this punishment, take this punishment, and learn from it. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like you, again, we don't know specifics of this. Uh, who knows if they will ever be released? We don't know, uh, but they obviously deemed it enough to it was above osuna right osuna got something uh, a little bit less so there was a uh there, there was a precedent we've been talking about precedent a lot with the free agents and signings and things like that baseball loves and, and, and honestly like all of all professional sports they love a precedent and when there is one it's hard to go back from that so i think that after that happened well now you're going to get if you if you're to go less than osuna now you are going to get into that well was it less of a domestic abuse than the other yeah. one you can't do that you cannot have can't. that argument you cannot have that argument you just cannot have that argument because it's it's a it's a it's a like you said a line and it was crossed so now there's a precedent for that line being crossed um and they they even upped it a little bit from there so um obviously the yankees and mlb knows more of the details of what happened uh and what you do hope at this point is that domingo herman is uh becomes a, a better person a better man is contrite with with uh you know remorse for for whatever happened uh and and he learns from this and everybody um you know moves forward and tries to put a better foot forward that being said you have to look at what's on the baseball field and on the baseball field domingo herman is a pitcher uh and we talked about this last episode uh, a pitcher that was not on the field for the yankees in the playoffs and it very well could have been a big a big piece that may have pushed them over may have pushed them over the top with the astro series you don't know but what he was during the entire season was a very, very solid starting pitcher, if not a very their best pitcher in the beginning of the season. Um, once Sevy went down, Herman stepped up and was damn good for this team and served a very big role. So if he's there and he's a swing piece that can eat innings and give you quality innings against the Houston Astros, who knows? Maybe we have a lot better um, performances by some of these other relievers on, on the Yankees. You just don't know. And the bottom line is, is it hurt the Yankees on the field? So... When he comes back, if he comes back, when he comes back, will the Yankees be better on the field? Yeah, they will be. Yeah, and it hurt it hurt the Yankees on the field at the end of last year, certainly. And probably it will hurt them more from the games he missed at the end of 2019 than the games he's going to miss at the start of 2020. Because the Yankees' overall pitching roster is much better now than it was back then. Well, right. I mean, last year, Domingo Herman was part of that. Yeah. He was in the plans. Right, and you and you have no other. There's no contingency plan when that happens. Like that's you just kind of deal with what you have. The and the whole point of these penalties, if you're Major League Baseball, is you put down a punishment severe enough to make guys think twice about their actions. 
And it sucks that that's what you have to do in order to make a guy think, should I do this or not do this? I don't, but if I don't know if it's a, if necessarily if it's like phrasing it in the way that it's them thinking twice about it, but more in the you have to they have to take a stand. They have to show that this sort of stuff is not going to be tolerated. Yes. you can't just go out there and act however you want to act. You're you're there. These guys all have this uh, probably this like invincibility nature to them, They're, right? When you're defined consequences, defined consequences is important. Yes. When you're that good at something and you're making that much money, and I know Herman wasn't making the millions and millions of dollars that some of his peers are making, but he's still making a shit ton more money than most people are making. He's still making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to play for the New York Yankees. There's like a, an air of invincibility that I'm sure a lot of these athletes get. And you, you can't just go around acting like a jackass. And... He's gonna. It's gonna hit him in the wallet. It's gonna hit him maybe in the rest of his career. It's gonna follow him around for the rest of his career. Yes, oh, it absolutely. Is. As well as it should. And for next season, he's gonna come back in June, so he's gonna be like a second half addition to the Yankees, and that'll be great if if he comes back and he's a better person and he's a, a, the pitcher we saw last year, and the Yankees want to add him back to the roster. Great, that's gonna be a nice addition, but. Doesn't I mean, like, there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then. So, yeah, um, but strictly talking on the field, when when you're having a suspension like this, when you're serving a suspension that it's now retroactive, we know that um, mm-hmm. won't be in spring training. You know, won't be participating in any uh, any Yankees activities. Yeah, that's that's something to clarify. It's not like he can be. Um, it's not like he can be around the team and like rehabbing. He, he can do his own things off the he field, can, but he, he can't. He can do the Jacoby Ellsbury. Right, but he can't go start. He can't be lining up in Trenton and in Scranton. Right. No, 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 no. Until this, until June fifth, that suspension's over. Yeah. Now you can resume baseball activities with the New York Yankees. Um, yeah. I'm sure there will be coordinated efforts with whomever he's dealing with, uh, and who knows? Maybe, he's not going to be sitting on a couch maybe until he's June fifth. Working with Cressy at Cressy Labs <laughs> down in Florida or Massachusetts. Who knows? He's not going to be sitting on a couch until June 5th, but he's also not going to be ready to pitch for the Yankees on June 5th. Well, I, I don't know about that because you saw last year uh, how some of these guys, not for the New York Yankees immediately, but but probably not that far off because they will. he will be stretched out. He will be ready to go. He will be throwing sim games. He will be doing all of those things. He'll just be not doing with the Yankees. So like he's, he's going to be getting his arm ready. He's going to be preparing for the season at that point, just yeah. not with the team. An interesting question from all of this is, does it have any effect on his trade value? Or does do you think the Yankees are even shopping him? Do you think it's been something they've discussed? And if the, if it does, what kind of effect has now the suspension being clear have on his value? I mean, yeah, it's it's dicey waters, I guess, because now you're talking into, uh, you know, to different things. You're talking on the field, then you have, you know, GMs and owners of other teams with uh, – with, with potential moral walls that are going up. Like, I, you know, I don't know how everybody feels about, about uh, a guy that has a, um, a checkered history like this, but you saw what happened for, you've seen teams do this before well, though. Acquire you, guys well, who, on the cheap and what the Yankees Well, and the Houston Astros, the Houston yeah. Astros who, you know, if we're looking at morals and ethics and, and, and some that are crossing the line, look, a lot of time, a lot of teams just, they put it to the side and they say baseball on the field is different than off the field. And, and yes, there are consequences if there are actions off the field, but at the same time, um, those will be dealt with. But then, if you could produce on the field, like that's that's uh, that's a different type of bottom line. So the Astros went and traded for Osuna, 
from uh, with the Blue Jays, and they got him cheaper, you know, than than they uh, than they would have. Um, so yeah, there are teams that that look to strike. I think in, in opportunities like that, we'll see what happens. But he's uh, he's a young guy too. It's a it's an interesting case for him yeah. because he's a young a young guy that's controlled, and he's you know a starting pitcher that that really really uh, you almost took another level, went to the next level last year. Like we saw him. Uh, really step up and he, he was, made the, he made the progression he made that jump that we were hoping he could make he was one of the better pitchers in, in the al in the first half of last year the stuff with chapman when the yankees acquired chapman the reason the reds dumped him for next to nothing prospects is because he was going to be a free agent and they knew they weren't going to be able to pay him right this is not the same that's not the same situation with Demi but Ramon. it did play it's a not, role it certainly played a role. I mean, you you could argue you that mean? there were some teams that were not in on that because of no, no of right. his history I'm just talking about why did the Reds dump Chapman for nothing? If if I mean, Chapman they, was gonna, who, what do the Reds do anyway? I mean, do we? No, but if the Reds, if, if Chapman were were under contract or not set to make a ton of money in free agency, they would not have traded him for nothing. They would have held on to him, and then let him pitch again, and then maybe traded him. I think about what the Yankees traded for Chapman, and then got in return in a trade for Chapman. They got Glaber Torres, right, a top ten baseball player. In the league right now, a 23-year-old. I don't know if you've heard. He's young, Scott. He's, he's a young baseball player. He's young. And he's a superstar. Mm-hmm. And Adam Warren. They gave up, Adam they gave up Adam nothing for that. Yeah, Adam Warren. Right. Okay, great. But they got Glaber Torres. Yeah. The, those, those two halls, six months separated, are not even in the same realm. No, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy how it, how it went down. But... Um, you know, so had the Reds decided we're going to hang on to him and then deal him at the deadline, maybe they could have gotten. Maybe Glaber Torres is a Cincinnati Red. Maybe. Yeah. No. It's a, it's a big. It's a big what if. It's a big what if. But you know, there's certainly. There's certainly a role where the off the field issues take take place, and I think it's it's more of you know certain teams may not even be in at all because of certain yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, and I think some owners don't want to touch that. They'll they'll tell their GM no. Right, exactly, exactly. Especially for yeah. like a you know, depending where you are in the country, and like I think that that also kind of matters. Yeah, you mentioned Cressy, and the Yankees made news. Well, they we know they fired Matt Krause, who was their uh, head trainer or on their training staff last year. They fired him a few weeks ago, but they're making major changes to their entire strength and conditioning staff. Eric Cressy is now going to oversee the the entire strength and conditioning department. So Eric Cressy, yeah. the connection to Matt Blake, like <laughs> uh, we need the book and all the details on how the Cressy sports performance and all that has infiltrated Brian Cashman and the Yankees. Yeah, they well they you can see what's what's happening in the minor leagues. Like these guys are uh, they're they're infiltrating all the analytics guys and I'm telling you man this was a tight knit little Twitter vertical, little little Twitter Twitter world. Not five, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, uh, that was non-existent. That people didn't know about unless you were in there. And I, I mean, I've been following Cressy forever. I've been following Cressy for like almost 10, 10 years now. So the fact that he's where he is now is pretty crazy. Um, but he was one of those guys that would, uh, you know, when I was coaching little league, like I went and I found some of Cressy's videos back in the day about pitching mechanics and like, you know, making sure that the elbow is supported and things like that. He's been all over injury prevention for a while. And, uh, the, you know, it's, it's progressed, I think into, you know, some of the driveline type stuff where you're seeing the analytics and all the new technology come into play 
and uh, and now they're able to analyze everything else, not only the um, the rotations of the body and the different movements of the body, but now you can pick up on the baseball and all that stuff too. It's crazy, and and yes, there are some definite connections here. Um, I don't know where they started. I have to believe somewhere down in Florida, because uh, I know he has he started with a facility up in Massachusetts, uh, and now he has one down in Florida too. Uh, so you know, around spring training, I think a lot of relationships were built in spring training over the years. I feel like Brian Cashman and with the minor league teams. Cashman obser- was observing from afar, and he's like, "Oh, I like what that guy does." And then maybe some drinks were had. Maybe some dinners were had. Well, I think he sent his minions in well before that, and his minions have right. Been, no, yeah, have been watching from afar. Yeah. Go evaluate this, and then once he gets that green light, okay, let me. And then they're they they've obviously had a lot of conversations over the last couple of years, and it's interesting because Cressy is going to be the head of the oversee the department, but Cressy Sports Performance will still exist and still exist and be allowed to work with other MLB <laughs> athletes. So it's not like Cressy Sports Performance is now only employed by the Yankees. They're still going to be operating as business as usual. It's kind of a it's kind of a situation where um, I don't know if he's still the team doctor, but he used to be. Doctor James Andrews was the team doctor for the Washington Redskins, uh, and I, I'm not sure if he's still that guy or, or or not. Either way, you see some of these guys, and I, and I guarantee um, the the team doctors for a lot of these uh, a lot of teams, if not all of them, are actual. You know, sur- their surgical, uh, their surgical doctors at uh, a local hospital as well as what they do for the team. It's not a full time. I'm um, watching every single thing that's happening, uh, unless you're like on the training staff and you're the guy, the head trainer, and you're like watching on a, on a daily basis. But the guy, it's seemingly like he's the architect. You know, he's the mm-hmm. architect of how these things are going to go down, and he's able to do that from a little bit more of a distance. So, it's an interesting, it's an interesting model. But I kind of see it like the team doctor. You mentioned a few weeks ago when we talked about Kraus, you were like, well, I kind of wish they made this move earlier in the offseason and set something more in place earlier than late December or January. Now we know this was obviously going to be the plan. Maybe these talks were being had for a long time. So it seems like they're, they're, they're implementing an already uniform operation. Yeah, well, we, we saw the turnover. The turnover in the minor leagues with the pitching system uh, the pitching coaches. But that's different. The pitching coaches is different than the strength and conditioning department. But they're all connected. That's the thing. That's what I'm No, I know they're I'm connected. All, but Cressy and all these analytical guys, they're all connected. There's yeah, a, they're there's doing a different, web. They're, they're connected, they're, but they're also doing – they're focused on different things. They're, I mean, the Yankees had a, a lot of them were using the same technologies, though. Similar technology. The Yankees had a problem with injuries last year. It's something they needed to address. And they addressed it. And you're happy about it. I'm happy about it that they addressed it. You had said, though, oh, I wish they did this earlier. But now, in hindsight, can't you see, like, okay, well, this was the plan. Oh, for sure. And it's, and, but Cressy Performance is, is an already existing entity that has a structure and operations. So it's not like they're just, okay, hiring a new guy and he's got to now map out a plan. The plan is mapped out. They're, they, they basically acquired a company. No, right? no, 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 I don't see it like that. Because I, I think that what, what he does on a daily basis has nothing to do with what the Yankees are doing. It's going to be very different. What, what I do think that, that there was a relative plan, like, you know, that maybe they, were, uh, they knew that this was going to happen. Maybe, it, 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 you know, the negotiations took a little while. Um, but, or they were in talks, and maybe Cressy was talking with some of the other players already. But I do think Cressy is going to be coming in and changing the system and what they do. But there's no way he's really 
he's not doing it based on what he's doing, using some of the tactics probably that he uses within his own shop. But I yeah. think the look and feel of the architecture is going to be going to be different. But overall, like the, I think the big point here is that there's going to be a different philosophy. The philosophy behind Cressy and what he does, I think, is now going to be rolling down and 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 getting you know deeper into the Yankees organization, and that will be the most impactful thing. And, and people will start complaining about it. First injury, first injury of the season. People will start complaining about it. They also made uh, Steve Donahue basically. They just forced him into retirement. Yeah, they gave him, they like, give him a, dude, a pepper job. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of injuries, this is hilarious news. So we know Cespedes messed up his ankle um, last year, and it came out that the fractured ankle incident came with an incident with a wild boar. So I like a little donkey, bit more information. I like the donkey story better. A little bit more information on maybe why Cespedes was. So willing to agree to a, a less salary next year. Yeah, I mean, there were things happening off the field that probably had some contract uh, gray areas. But I love the story. I love the fact that it, that, that it came out finally. Um, I, I think all the, the, <laughs> the made-up stories about this, about him on the farm and, you know, the donkey is my favorite. I, I still think uh, those – it was better for our imagination. But the fact that it was a wild boar, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good Mets. It's a pretty good Mets story. It's a perfect Mets story. Are you kidding me? Like Yankees are out here signing Garrett Cole. Meanwhile, Yoannis Cespedes is fighting wild boars. Yeah, it's great. I love it. When I the wild boars are nothing to mess with. They're vicious. Oh hell yeah, they'll they'll when charge. I, Haven't you ever seen uh, uh, um, Princess Bride? Rodents of unusual sizes. They were they were uh, kind of modeled after the uh, the wild so. boar. When. I went to Israel a bunch of years back and I was on a group tour and we were we were on a hike and we had to turn around because there was the leader who saw uh, evidence that a wild boar was in the area. And he was like, we're not messing around with this. <laughs> I never saw the wild boar. Yeah. But we got the hell out of there pretty quickly. No, it's uh, th- they uh, they don't really care. They'll charge you and, and take you out. So we know Cespedes agreed to the lesser contract because he, he seriously did violate the terms of his agreement and the Yankees have this ongoing thing with Ellsbury who's claiming I did not violate the terms of my agreement the doctor I saw was legitimate and it's not for baseball related injuries so people were saying oh well the the Mets got Cespedes to agree to a lesser contract maybe the Yankees can get Ellsbury but I I just think they're so different and I think that's more information the the this information about Cespedes goes to show yeah he was he was out way out there and he knows he messed up, so he he has no uh, leg to stand on. Yeah, but that that also could be you know one of the reasons why the Yankees did this is to to put to enter some shadow of a doubt that you know we can actually. So now Ellsbury has to make a decision, right? Like he's he's obviously going going to to fight against this. The MLB the MLBPA is going to fight against this, but there is a shadow of a doubt that the Yankees could win it, and then that money gets returned or is is not paid out or whatever it is. Uh, so. That shadow of a doubt may say, may make a Ellsbury go to his lawyers and be like, you know what, I don't want to chance the, the the fact that I don't get anything. Let's just settle and be done with this. And, and I think that's what the Yankees' goal is to settle for something somewhere in the middle. Yeah, which will help them with salary, with the luxury tax. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, the fact that they did this just to to, to you know meet somewhere in the middle and, and cut a little bit off uh, is probably much more realistic than them you know being absolved of the entire contract. Ellsbury hasn't been on the field in two years, and 
seems like 10. He's, he's still going to he was, he was the DH in the 2017 wildcard game. Never forget that. Ugh, I, I want to. I want to forget that. <laughs> All right, let's get to the 20 questions for the 2020 Yankees. We're going to fire through these and spend a, a minute or two on each one. In no particular order. These are questions that we got that I had, that you had, that people uh, on the Bronx Pinstripes team had. So the first one, who will be the fifth starter? And by this, who's going to start the season as the fifth starter and who's going to be the primary fifth starter for the season? Because I think those are different answers, potentially. Yeah, I think they are. I think when we um, – to start the season, I mean, I, I still believe, assuming he's on the team, uh, Jay Happ's going to be the guy. And when uh, you see that Jordan Montgomery is probably the guy that is vying for that spot at this point, um, there's an opportunity to, to, you know, hold Jordan Montgomery in AAA to start the season and, and kind of use, use him as a depth piece. There's no real reason to rush him up to the, to the major league roster or he'll be on the 40, man, but not to uh, put him on the 25, man, because, you know, I think the luxury of time works in the Yankees' favor. Yeah, and the Yankees are never going to let Jay Happ reach those vesting option milestones. Yeah, but so my que- the question about that one, like the contract, the way the contract reads, I'm wondering if if that um, if you were traded, do the yeah we never got an answer on this, and I, I'm assuming that I'm assuming the Yankees those... are still on the hook for him. I'm assuming they don't go over. I would assume that the Yankees would be on the hook. That's why I didn't think it was also going to be traded because if he goes no, over, no, not the Yankees, the team that acquires him, but that would have to be negotiated in the in the contract. It doesn't have to be the if, team if this vist. No, yeah. The team acquiring J. Happ, say they follow my plan and the 2020 salary is split to the team acquiring him and the Yankees, then there would have to be terms in the trade that say if Happ reaches these goals that are in his contract for the vesting option, then what's the percentage breakdown of that vesting option? That's that's where that's where the trade goes completely gone. <laughs> bye 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 trade because the fact that the Yankees have that in there, um, I, I I don't know what team would accept any of those terms for that vesting option. Like to me, that's on the, uh, the hook for the Yankees. If you want to get rid of them that badly, well then you're gonna you're gonna if he vests, you're gonna eat that con- you're gonna eat the vest you're gonna eat that contract or eat part at least a solid majority chunk of that contract because you wrote it into the contract. But there is also, and that, but then the Yankees have no no controlling at all what, how many innings are happening. That's the other thing. No, but if he sucks, the team's not going to keep throwing him out there because they're not going to want to keep him for the following season, even at nothing. Right. If he's a, a, a terrible pitcher, yes. he's not going to get the innings he needs to but that's, reach his vest. I just option. don't see that as a real a real likelihood because he's not a terrible pitcher. You look at the second half of last year, and Jay Happ was, a, he was a, better. a damn good. No, he was pretty good. I mean, he was pretty good. The, the numbers were much better in the second half. He figured out, you know, some of the things that we're doing. And, and I got to believe, I know it's one of the questions, but uh, if that ball is not drastically changed, and I don't believe it, I think it's going to be relatively similar, he's still going to have an issue with the ball going out of the park. So, you know, whether those adjustments in the second half that he made were real adjustments that he could continue um, and, and, you know, not have the other guy, the, the batters, make another adjustment to him, uh, then that will be the tell if he's able to be successful because if he if he can be successful in the second half he's got the ability he knows we know the fastball there was not really much diminished uh, ability on on Jay Happ no yeah when you looked at the velocity and the spin rate and all that stuff it was similar the major difference was the fly balls balls that his fly balls that usually went to 
warning track depth are now going six rows deep. And it's like, okay, well, what's going on here? And he made adjustments to that. So if he can continue those adjustments and be consistent with those adjustments, again, you talk about cerebral pitchers. You don't find much more of a cerebral pitcher than Jay Happ. We saw him starting to make adjustments. He started to use that two-seamer in a couple in that Boston start early, not early, but mid-season. He had a really good start against Boston, and it was he basically abandoned his four-seam fastball and only threw his two-seam fastball, and he had results. But he he didn't seem to make consistent adjustments. I think that's hard to where, do in the middle of a season, though. That's the thing. I think when you have an offseason – to now understand what's going to happen. Especially for a guy who's 36, 37 years old and has been doing yeah. something for his entire life and has been successful doing something right. his entire life. Yeah, that's it's a it's a very tough transition to make. Like, say what you want about Jay Happ, but he was a successful pitcher for his whole career. Yes. Yes, he was. And not, not, a, not a number one or a number two pitcher, but a good pitcher. Right, and then when you have to make a complete adjustment of what's been working now for the past, you know, 20 years of your life, 15 years of your life, then yes, that's a that's a big deal. And I think it speaks to volumes if he can make that adjustment. So it makes sense for the Yankees, obviously. Like it's you have two lefty guys, one young, one old. Uh if if, if that if the um if J Hop can make that adjustment and be a a guy that can eat five to six innings on a consistent basis as the number five starter, that's great. That is a great thing to have. Except for the fact that the Yankees would then be locked into paying him $17 million in 2021. And I don't think they want to do that. The goal probably is let's see Montgomery get another season under him after Tommy John surgery. Hopefully he can turn back into the 2018 pitcher, not the 2018 uh, pitcher, the 2017 pitcher that he was and continue to make improvements going forward. And I think that relates to question number two. Is this Tanaka's last year with the Yankees? There's no way we're going to spend 60 seconds on each of these questions. That's impossible for us to do. Um, uh, yeah, I think it is. I think this is Tanaka's last year with the Yankees. The, I agree. I, I think they uh, they got what they wanted out of the contract. I think he's been a very good pitcher for the Yankees. Um, hopefully yep. he can, uh, you know. <laughs> had its ups and downs, man. Definitely had his ups and downs. But, you know, we, we look at the, the, the good stuff, and he was definitely – he's had some really good postseason success. Um, but I just don't, I don't expect them to be paying him, not with – not with um, UC Paxton's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, Tanaka's going to be a free agent. Are you, which one? If you had to sign one of those guys, like to me, they're signing Paxton all day long. He's going to be more expensive, probably, but not too much. I bet it'd be pretty damn close. Well, it'd be more of an investment in years. Yeah, Tanaka just turned thirty-one, in on November first, so he won't be. He'll be thirty-two at the very end of next season. Yeah. So he'll be thirty-two when he's looking for a new contract. That's what the age of Steven Strasburg was, who just got seven years. They're not the same pitcher. Steven Strasburg is a better pitcher than Masahiro Tanaka. But I think Tanaka's agent can go into the offseason saying, we're getting at least five years. Probably. Baumgartner got five years. Wheeler got five years. Strasburg got seven years. Uh, I think he's going to be looking for five years. Yeah, and I don't, the, the and I don't think the Yankees that. are going to be willing to pay him five years. I don't think so either. And if it comes down to who are we going to pay for five years, Paxton or Tanaka, we'll it's going to be Paxton. Mm -hmm. The next question is, uh, what will the Yankees do with Miguel Andujar? Real, real, real quick side thing on that. It's kind of crazy now that you think about what's happened with the uh, with the, the amount of years now for these pitchers. And w when you see Strasburg uh, at, that, at that age, now, now the gap is like, okay, or you're paying a guy that's 32 years old, that got, and he got seven years. So now we're, if you look at precedent – it's it's blown. It's out the window because now they're paying old. But there's guys. also Del there's also Dallas Keuchel who's 32 years old and just got three years. 
So right, but I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, there's no, there is no precedent now. Find a middle ground, this, but it's going to be a middle ground. It's probably going to be a, this guy got three, this guy got five, this guy got five, this guy got seven. Tanaka is going to fall into that five-ish year, maybe four with an option he can hit, five with a player with a, a team co- uh, contract option for some security. Obviously, a lot of it has to do like with that. what happens this year with him. If he could come out and throw, do you think he? Re- yeah. Do you think he regrets not opting out last year? Uh, no, I don't. It's interesting because the market was different, but I, he's not going to have much leverage with the Yankees. But, but obviously, he didn't know the Yankees. I'm just trying to work through this in my mind. Like, you know, we didn't know the Yankees were going to sign Garrett Cole to a nine-year contract, and I think that drastically changed things. We didn't know the Yankees were going to acquire James Paxton, who was going to be due for a contract at the same time Tanaka was. I mean, there's so many things. So there's so many he different probably factors. thought, and we don't know who's gonna. He, you can't think that far ahead because you don't know who's gonna come up and be a stud either. Uh, that, that's from the minors. No, but Tanaka had to have that conversation with his agent and say, "Well, how do we? Can we beat what I'm guaranteed? And also, what's my next next contract gonna look like?" Yeah, and I think that when you're looking at the, him opting, uh, staying in the contract, and then uh, after this year reassessing what's happened. I mean, the market's definitely worked in his favor now. I think that now he's going to get probably a longer contract than they expected uh, from from a team. I don't think if, if you're looking before this free agency, are you talking about Tanaka five years or are you more penciling him for three? Probably penciling him more for three than five. Yeah. But now yeah. but now with what's happened in this in this market, I think you can now be almost more aggressive at five. And I think the, it, this could benefit the Yankees if he goes out there with a with a, I got to prove myself this season. I got to have a great year. Yeah, love guys pitch. in a contract year. Love it. Yeah. Paxton, yeah. same way. So the third question was, what are the Yankees going to do with Andujar? Um, yeah, there's two guys on this on this roster that I have no idea what they're going to do with, honestly, if I'm being completely frank. And I know who the next one is, and that's question five. Number five. <laughs> the, um, we might as well just lump them together. Let's do. Th- what are the Yankees going to do with Miguel Andujar? What are the Yankees going to do with Clint Frazier? Yeah, so Andujar is uh, right now – is is a TBD with a glove. Uh, in fact, three, four, and five are all very connected because or, or number four is why, will or shall I regress? That's why I put yeah. them together, Scott. <laughs> um, so let's tackle all three. What are we gonna? What are the Yankees gonna do with Andujar? What are they gonna do with Frazier? And the other question of these three is will or shall I regress? So I think Andujar and Urshela obviously are directly connected. Um, I think there's probably some. You know the Yankees feel good about Urshela. What they what they saw has has come to fruition to a, a higher extent, obviously. But they saw a very good offensive player, a very good defensive player, and a guy that has blossomed. And and maybe this is him. Um, they know what Andujar is with the bat. They love with him at the bat. The the bat is good. The bat is good. The, I'm not convinced they love Andujar's bat. Oh, I do. I'm not saying he's a bad bat, but he does not walk. Uh, and but I he makes a ton know of contact. The Yankees. I know. I, I don't know, though, if the Yankees love that kind of approach. I think they would like to be to see him be a little bit more selective. And that doesn't mean necessarily just walk more because Glaber Torres actually walked, did not walk any more last year than he did the previous year. But he became a more disciplined hitter. He s- started swinging more aggressively at pitches in the strike zone. Which is great. That's a good thing. I mean, you saw what that's a good. We thing. saw what happened for Even a month the when Didi did that. <laughs> if you if the walks don't go up, that's fine. If you're hitting the pitches in the strike zone, yeah. And Glaber had that ability, and Andujar has that ability. But if he starts expanding the strike zone and being just aggressive to be aggressive, that can work against him. And I don't think the Yankees like that approach. 
I don't think they need to see like a 15% walk rate. They need to see a disciplined approach at the plate. That being controlling said, controlling the strike zone. That being said, he doesn't strike out a ton either because he can hit the ba- the balls out of the uh, out of the zone and and hit and you know find find grass, hit them out of the park, hit the wall. He did in 2018. He hit 8,000 yeah. doubles. So like the guy, the guy is a is a a, a great hand eye guy, a good bad ball hitter. Like that's part of the the reason I think um, they like him because I don't think the story is told by him not walking. You know, you just said it. If you're if you're hitting more of the balls in that are within the strike zone, then your walks are not going to be there because you are getting on base in different ways, or you're making contact uh, with balls in the strike zone. So that percentage will be higher. And I, I think that they, um, you just kind of have to have like a little bit of a curve with the analytics with Andujar because he is a good bad ball hitter. And I, I love that, and I do think they like that. I, I think they like that a lot. The problem with him. And the problem will always be with him is that he has no defensive position at this point. Now, if he's show if he shows significant improvement at third base, which is possible, I'm not saying it isn't. I think I think they it's said he was improved at last year, and we just never got to see it. Right. So um, that will be that will be a big tell if he can if he can play an average defense. We've said this a hundred times. If Andrew Har is an average defensive player, even a little below average, you love it. You love him because the bat plays. But now with Urshela there, they have a, a a a significant upgrade on defense. Even if he gets better, even if Andujar gets better, Urshela is a better defender. Bottom line, um, but the offense there's there's definitely a gap there where Urshela, if he stays at the level he was last year, that gap is not as big. So, a lot of this has to do with the way Urshela either comes back to the pack and if Andujar can rise up with the defense. So it's it's really a it's it's a competition between the two guys, I think. With with Urshela yeah, think, leading the charge right now, I think Urshela's Urshela's job to start the season, and it's Andujar's job to win in some form or fashion. And I think Andujar will be getting time in spring training at first base. I think he'll be taking reps at first base. We might even see him take reps in left field. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. No, I mean they might as well figure it out and see what's ha- see what the possibilities are and see how much flexibility they can actually stretch from this. Um, but. You know, I, I think all of this is very, very contingent on the fact that he's on the team because that's a super big possibility still. Like, he is definitely a big trade piece. Uh, the other guy, Frazier, that we're talking about is is another uh, a guy that they're very similar players in the sense that they're both offensive players and both of them suck ass at defense. <laughs> you know? Well, they sucked ass in a different way, though. But they're both bad defenders. So you see Frazier, who... Uh, sometimes doesn't know his elbow from his ass in the field and Andujar who trips over his own feet and double clutches and takes forever to throw. Like there's just different things, but they're still, don't you think though Frazier got in his own head with the defense last year? He got a little bit of the defensive yips. I think that Frazier is in his own head about a lot of things. Yeah. And I, I know that's, that's lo- and that's a problem. That could be that's a, a long term problem. problem. That's not just a yip thing. And we fix the yips. That's a yips here and a yips there and a yips everywhere. Like, no, if you have to bank on a guy being, always mentally right yeah. in order to get his I ain't potential. putting my money that's on a, him. Yeah, I'm not putting my money on that. I'm either. not putting my money on the guy that frames Ooh. an Instagram freak or a Twitter I'm post. Making up, I'm making up a question. Who's more likely to be traded, Frazier or Andujar? I think there's more value with Andujar. I think, I th- oh. uh, let me rephrase that. I think other teams will value Andujar more than they will Frazier. One, because yeah, they can, I think so. They can put him in multiple positions. He's not a head case. Um, he's a damn good hitter. We know that. Frazier's a good hitter too, but Andujar, I think, is a, is a better hitter. Uh, and, and Andujar, I think, has more potential. I think that Andujar's ceiling is higher. And he's not a head case. Uh, and, and oh, yeah. by the way, he's not a head case. 
Yeah. Yeah, and with Frazier, I have no clue. I actually have I'm less con- I'm less sure of what they're going to do with Frazier than what they're going to do with Andujar. I could see Frazier as being a piece. You know, I don't a piece to a trade. Yeah, because I don't a piece to a, a trade because I don't think he's a I don't think he's a, a I don't a see he gets I don't think he gets traded though until later in the season after they have more clarity on Hicks's timetable because as of right now, he's the fifth outfielder on the depth chart Frazier is with Hicks out. So one in with Hicks out, one injury on the major league team in the outfield and he's up. You know what's so funny is that during our last I don't even know about, I guess it was our last episode. We were talking about other moves that may, might be made for the rest of the season. <laughs> and one of the moves that I was thinking about was like they could add a veteran outfielder, like a guy like Cameron Maybe he's still floating around. Didn't even Cliff Frazier didn't even cross my mind as being a very real option for the Yankees as a as a as a uh, a, a a guy like a fourth outfielder or a fifth outfielder because he's so bad at the on the defensive side. If there's not like drastic improvements from from him, he serves no value to a team as a fourth or fifth guy. His value is on the offense, but a fourth or fifth uh, outfielder needs to be more of a defender. Yeah, and when Hicks is back, he's the sixth guy on the depth chart. Yeah, so. I think it's smart for them to hold on to him because they can and, and why not like let him just continue to rake in the, in the minor leagues and get better. And then you see where you are. You still have a talented guy on your team in some form, in some way it's in your organization and ready to go if you need him. Um, so I don't think Cashman's just going to give up on it, but you know, if someone overvalues him, I wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, if he pulled the trigger either. So the next question is, I guess you can tie it to this too, is how the Yankees going to use the 26th roster spot. Well, I think this is more of a uh, a philo- philosophical question in the sense of, you know, you can look at the, almost the way that they would do uh, or the way they would handle like a playoff roster too. So I think the 26th man is going to be a, a position player. That's how I look well, at it. Well, you can only carry 13 pitchers in the, of the 26. Okay. That's a max. You can't carry 14 pitchers. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, that's then they'll go 13 to 13. Yeah, and uh, do you, but do you think it's going to be a steady guy all year, or is it going to be rotating based on performance, based on need? It's based definitely on... going to be a rotation. Yeah, I, agree. I think twenty five and twenty six could be a rotation. I think it it what it does is to start the season opens up room <laughs> for Andujar to start the year on the roster without a set position, whether it's DH or position in the field, and you can still get him a bunch of at bats each week. But I think it's going to be a rotation based on need, based on – and it'll help because the Yankees last year when they were going through all those injuries for a certain time, they're like, well, we don't want to put him on the IL, so we're just going to have him not play for six days and play a man short. So you can call up a 26 man and be covered. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in the beginning of the season, I wouldn't be – also, I would not be surprised if they were to have uh, just an extra position player just to – just to kind of see what's happening. It seems like there are so many position players now that are vying for spots, even though we have a lot of definitive spots. The problem is, is that like guys like Stanton um, and the fact that Hicks is out, it, it yes, there are locked spots and locked roster spots, but flexibility as, as far as a defensive position, I still think there's a lot of gray area because we don't know where Stanton's going to be playing on a consistent basis. Is he going to be the primary left fielder for the beginning of the season? I think the Yankees hope so, and I think that would be very helpful for the Yankees so that they can have a, a, a Gardner-Talkman um, you know, platoon in center field, that would be a, a good thing. And then they can rotate Stanton in and out. Then Miggy has a, a real spot at DH. So Stanton being 
you know, a, a cemented guy in left field is a big deal, but that's very gray right now. Mm-hmm. The next question is who's going to be the first baseman? Uh, Luke Voigt's going to be the first baseman. I agree. <laughs> it's a question. Though. I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, you just, I, well, I don't know if, uh, if, if, you know, Ford's going to be on the team to start the season either. Um, you know, we talk about the lefty righty thing. I don't think it's a necessity that he's there. I think he's going to, personally, I think he's going to start in AAA. Um, and then, you know, probably the first guy called up. So you mentioned this just a second ago, but who plays more center field in the first half, Gardner or Talkman? If I had to bet on it, I would say Gardner. A lot of that depends, though, on Stanton. A lot of it depends on Stanton. And that was that's the next question. Can Judge and Stanton stay healthy? Because it hasn't happened. <laughs> hasn't happened since they've had both of those players. They've One of them has been banged up or one of, his, one of them has been out. Last year, Stanton was out all year. Judge was out for a part of the year. The year before that, Judge was out. Stanton was banged up with a hamstring. The, these guys have not been able to stay healthy. You get 145 to 155 games of consistent health out of those two in right field, left field, and DH. That completely changes the outlook of your outfield. It's massive. So can they stay healthy? Probably not. They're, no, they're, they're, they can't. No, I, I don't think they can. They're big-bodied guys that are going to get nicked up. And I'm sorry, I had someone argue with me on, on Twitter about this, I don't know, like last year at some point, about big-bodied guys and that they're not more susceptible to injury because of their mechanics or, or, or the longer swings. Yes, when, when, mechanics are, when mechanics go awry on a bigger guy like that that has, that has longer arms, longer legs, uh, bigger uh, surface area to cover – that when mechanics go badly, it's harder for them to to get back into play and get that muscle memory back. And I think when those things happen, when when mechanics get even off a little bit, that's when injuries happen. And I think these guys are more susceptible to injuries because of that. Um, and there's just more surface area, for God's sakes. So I, I think that it's it's going to be very difficult for them both to stay fully healthy through an entire season. I think it, at one point or another, one of them will be on the on the shelf for a bit. Hopefully, question it's not a major injury. Question number ten: Which Gary Sanchez is going to show up? So this is an interesting one because the one thing that really we haven't actually talked about a lot, and I think it's it's totally on on uh, on trend here for the New York Yankees. But the Yankees have a a new um, what is the official title? The official title is Major League Quality Control Coach and Catching Coordinator for the New York Yankees. The Yankees have a a new catching coach essentially. Uh, Tanner Swanson is a guy that that came over from the Twins. He was the um, uh, he was in the a similar role with the Minnesota Twins, and I'm interested to see what kind of changes, philosophical, you know, how what they're doing behind the scenes. Uh, this guy Tanner Swanson has directly affected with Gary Sanchez because they obviously brought him in and they like him. Um, it's a similar story to Matt Blake in the sense that uh, this is a guy that that played college baseball. Um, I'm not even sure if he played in the minors. I think he just played college and then went into coaching from there. But was like, he was a uh, a health education teacher at uh, a, a high school in 2007, as they 2008. All are, as is every baseball. Was coach an assistant in high coach at a community college in 2009. Assistant coach and a student lecturer uh, at a at a small school in Washington, uh, all the way through uh, being a head baseball coach, and, and went on to um, you know a, a major college, uh, University of Washington, and then moved on to operations. So this guy's progressed through a a multitude of different uh, positions but is more of one of, of a guy that has new age tactics and goes about things in a different way. So I think it'll be really interesting. And I really want to, I'm curious to, to watch that and see that, how that relationship unfolds and how um, we, if we see anything different from the way that 
Gary Sanchez prepares because I think that's going to be a huge take a huge role to how he plays. If Gary Sanchez is on the field, he's going to hit well. If he's on the field and healthy, he's going to hit. And I got to believe if he's on the field and healthy, we're going to see better numbers uh, behind the play because I think the Yankees are taking true efforts to make him to surround him with people that can uh, that can talk to him in a way that will make him better. I think they're really trying to do that. So I think that we're going to see a good year from him. Um, and, you know, we saw what? Th- did he hit 35 last year or 34? 34, 35 home runs last year? I think we're going to see something he, very similar. And he missed. He still missed a lot of time. I think we'll see 35, 40 And that's the runs. thing I'm worried about. He's going to miss time. If, if he can, I think conditioning is a big thing for him. And that's why uh, I'm hoping that, you know, all of these changes that are being made uh, are being made to, I think, get more longevity from their players, right? Like, they're, they're, they want their guys to be in better shape, bottom line. Uh, and, and then to be able to use their bodies in ways that are efficient uh, and they're able to to stay on the field and prepare better to stay on the field. So I hope that that is being implemented currently with Gary Sanchez. The, the frustration with Gary Sanchez is that it, you seem to get different Gary Sanchez's from game to game, at bat to at bat, where one at bat he would be disciplined and, and look like an absolute freak beast at the plate. And then other times it was, well, they're going to throw him three straight sliders in the dirt and he's going to swing at all of them. Talk about a guy that, that is drastically impacted uh, when he's actually swinging at strikes big time. Like that's, that's a, that's a big deal for him. And if he's not, um, I mean, that was part of the judge transition when judge made the transition from, you know, from, from uh, level to level as he was climbing the minor leagues. And then uh, again, in the major leagues, the bottom line is, is if he's swinging at strikes and laying off pitches that he um, has been enticed you know, before with, then he's going to be a better player. Some guys can go out of the zone and hit it like Miggy, but most can't. And Sanchez cannot do that as well as uh, other guys. So, yeah, discipline's huge. A-Rod maybe famously called Gary Sanchez the Yankees' best complete hitter. He said this at the beginning of 2018 and obviously hasn't happened um, since then. But you see flashes of it where you're like, oh, if he can channel that always, he is their best hitter. I think discipline is a, is a key word for Gary Sanchez because it's yeah. offensive and defensive. Homeboy needs to be able to block the ball efficiently. And not, I'm not just saying block the ball for blocking the ball's sake. For all of us, like watching a ball going well, by. Well, he did improve blocking insane. last year, but it came at the sacrifice of pitch framing. So they say. But at the same time, my point is, is that when <laughs> – when, uh, He's, so they say, yeah, yeah they, they are saying. Yeah, well, I guess the umpires. Uh, Do you not guess, believe that? I guess the umpires. No, I don't, belie- I don't believe in the pit, the frame. I've talked about this a thousand times. I don't like that stat, the framing stat. You could, Whether you like the stat or not. It has a direct, ref- it, it, it's including the umpires. I just, I don't think it's a good stat. I don't think it's a good stat. Anyway. Um, has, this has nothing to do with the stat. It does. No, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with the stat. He was selling out to block pitches that oh, okay, in the fine. previous seasons he was not selling out for. And that caused pitchers to get fewer strikes. If he is consistent with his mechanics and actually commits to these mechanics and is able to do these things and gets that muscle memory down. I can't believe we're talking about a guy who's in the professional uh, ranks of baseball. Talk about freak athletes. Don't have to try. I mean, the guy's a freak athlete with the bat. A freak athlete with the arm. He has to work on the other parts of his game. And if he puts in the time to do it, he could be a phenomenal catcher. Because I, I think he's got the abilities to do all of it. I think he's got the abilities to do everything. I really do. Um, it's just a matter of him committing to those mechanics. And I think a new a new guy with a new approach can only help that. At number 11, can Higgy handle the backup role 
And can he be a starter if Gary misses time? Obviously ties to that. We've talked at length about Higgy, but I think there's two different answers to this question. We have a new believer, can, a new believer on the show. Can Higgy handle the backup role? No, we never said he can't handle the backup role. No. But we said coming part of the territory with being a Yankees backup catcher is you're going to have to play more than your ordinary backup catcher. And I don't know if he can handle that. I'm still not convinced he can handle that. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think he'll be he'll be fine. I think that I think that with consistent time and um, you know, kind of knowing that you have a spot is a big deal for for confidence for a guy and like not always looking over your shoulder, um, you know, can play a role too. But obviously, the Yankees have shown confidence in in what he Higgy can do. Uh, just from listening to, uh, to to the interview last week, you can tell that the guys the like the first him. thing. It's the first thing Michael King mentioned was, "Oh, he's a great pitch framer." Yeah, like he just said, "He's that. a good receiver." So of the, it's obviously no, he said he's a good receiver. Known. He's a good receiver. That's what he meant, though. He didn't say framing. He said receiver. I, he didn't say framing, but that's what he meant. It's different. I'm just yeah. A pitcher can can think a guy's a good receiver of the ball. There's different ways that you can take that. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the framing stat's going to be uh, a top of the league. Doesn't necessarily mean that. Doesn't necessarily mean it. No, because you might have a shitty umpire a lot. We uh we already talked about number twelve. Should the Yankees try to move Domingo Herman? Yeah, I don't. I say no. I, I say no. Not a, don't try it. There's, there's no reason for it at this point no, as far as value on the point. field. No. Not at this point. This one is interesting. Is this the year the uh, Yankee wins MVP for the first time since Alex Rodriguez? And if you say yes, who is most likely to win the MVP of the league? Um, I think it's a good chance. I think I think that Glaber Torres has an opportunity. Yeah, that's my, that's my guess too. And the reason I'm not saying Judge or Stanton is because I don't think they're going to be healthy enough for a consistent season to be in the MVP uh, conversation. Uh, that, I mean, I, I think Judge Judge has a very good – I think Judge could stay healthy. I, I have I have little confidence in Stanton staying healthy all season long. Um, I think Judge has a better opportunity at that one. He's, you know, I just think he's a better Well, he's better been athlete. healthier, but still he missed time last year. And so what if he misses a month this year? That kind of takes you out of the MVP conversation, unless you're Mike Trout. Yeah. Uh, I just think that I think that Glaber's going to put up really stupid numbers, and the fact that he's playing shortstop now is going to his defensive is metrics help. will be better, so that won't be sort of a that won't be something that people can point to as saying, well, he doesn't deserve the MVP. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't know how much they're looking at defense really. I think they are now. I think a lot of writers are now. Yeah, maybe, but um, I, I think it will help him. It's not just home runs and RBIs anymore for MVP. You got to be a complete player. Uh, well, I think that I think that him going to shortstop definitely helps him. Plus, plus he's a shortstop, and I think that just out of the gate helps. Yep. How does the three batter minimum rule affect Yankees and other teams' roster makeup? Not that much. You can't really. Uh... I mean, I don't know how you adjust. Well, I think I don't know how you adjust the makeup, the makeup of your that lefty specialist that only comes in for one batter is no longer on the. That team. guy's really not very. He's not prevalent. A couple, couple guys, often. a couple teams have him still. Yeah, the Yankees don't. The Yankees bullpen is not built that way, and I'm glad it's not built that way. It's it's it's. But, I mean, it's it's already been it's already been lessened throughout the league anyway. So, um, yeah, like that guy doesn't have a job right now. There's no reason for that guy. Like Mike Myers doesn't pitch in the major leagues with this rule. Will number fifteen? Will the baseballs be juiced again? Depends what you're at. What you're saying by juiced? Will they be the same? The same height? We see we the same the kind of ball. Will we see the same ball we saw last? I think year? it'll be similar. I think they'll they'll probably. I I would say that they make. Um, you think they get uh, rain it back in a little bit? I think they, I think they try to, to make incremental changes, uh, slight yeah. slight changes to the 
to the seam height uh, as to to appease, you know, teams enough. I don't think it's going to be. I mean, look, when we're talking about it anyway, like you could see it visibly by the eye, but still, it's it's very the increments are extremely small. So I think they'll 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 tweak a machine, you know, like like you know maybe like a a sixteenth of a turn with the screwdriver. <laughs> to yeah, but if you start to re- if you start to dial it back a little bit, I think I think that's smart on their part. Yeah, you don't want it to be a storyline. You don't want Justin Verlander at the All Star game bitching about the baseball. Baseball does not want that. No, it's an excuse that nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear excuses. They just want to see good things happen on the field and, and let the players take the, the accolades uh, for, for that, not not an excuse on why players are hitting or doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's bad PR, though. It's also bad for the players. And the players it, no, it's bad PR. The players bad don't PR want to hear would, that shit either. Because they, they're, well, like, what they're thinking in their heads, too, is that, oh, I just hit 25 home runs, and now they're not going to pay me like I hit 25 home runs because now they're going to blame it on the ball when I go to arbitration. Now they're going to, in arbitration, they're going to say, well, the ball. The ball. Well, 25 home runs doesn't mean the same if the league average is 21 home right. runs. Well, you're only four above league, above league average for your position. So, sorry. When 25 home runs used to mean, oh, you're 12 home runs above league average. That's really good. That's a, It's a big difference. And, and, and it could be a, a, a very bad thing for guys who are actually making that adjustment to try to improve their launch angle and, and or may have done that anyway to the guys that are just now – you know, taking advantage of, uh, of hitting fly balls, uh, and they're just going out. So number 16, can Jonathan Loisica contribute in a real way, bullpen or rotation? I, he's got to throw strikes, man. Like the, he, he really disappointed me last year because when I, when I saw, when we saw what he did in the minor leagues, as far as um, throwing strikes, the guy was phenomenal around the strike zone. And I, when he came up and, and wasn't able to locate the ball, I was I was I was I don't know. I was taken aback. I was surprised that that he wasn't able to uh, that he was throwing as many balls as he was. Uh, so unless he can throw strikes, he's got the stuff. I mean, he's got he's got good stuff. Uh, but if he can't come in that zone, then then no, he's got no business uh, succeeding in the major leagues. You've got to be able to throw strikes consistently and then be able to work yeah. off of that. And if you can't do that, especially if done. you're going to be in a bullpen role, you can't come out of the bullpen and start throwing balls. No. Yeah, but we I already think have he, we already I have Adovino projects. For that. <laughs> I think he projects to be could project to be a solid bullpen guy. I think he projects as that that guy that they could potentially take. Uh, yeah. He's going to be competing with guys like Sessa and Holder and and those those guys. So um, and Adam Warren and you know the the guys that are at the back of that uh, at the back of that bullpen and are potentially going to be eating innings or coming in for a cleanup or you know a spot start somewhere like that's who he's competing with. So yeah, but you got those strikes. Number 17 is interesting. Which farmhand is most likely most likely to contribute significantly in 2020? And it's interesting because the roster, this is like a lot of set pieces on the roster already. It's like maybe this guy can be in the bullpen. Maybe he can compete for the fifth starter job. Maybe he can be the fifth outfielder. It's not like, oh, we need a, a starting left fielder. So I think the clearest path to a starting spot for a guy that's in the minor le- that would be in the minor leagues that has the potential to be in the major leagues is Mike Ford. I think that there is a very clear path to Mike Ford being the starting first baseman for the Yankees. If Voigt comes out and you know if, if there's an injury, Mike Ford's your first baseman. If there is uh, any kind of struggles, if there's if 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 um, if he regresses in any way, I could I could see a clear path where Mike Ford gets an opportunity. So um, if I'm if I'm a betting man, I could see. 
I could see him getting a significant time up at first base because we've seen the revolving door for the New York Yankees at first base for however many years now. It's going on six years. And yeah, ever since the Sheriff was gone, um, Mike Ford can, and he's a lefty bat, which I think, you know, maybe maybe that helps him uh, a little bit more, you know, even if they, they don't really, uh, you know, go live or die by the right-handed, left-handed, it's still appealing, I think. Um, so I think that's a good answer. Ford, no, right? I think that's a, re- that's a really good answer. You got to look at direct pass. I think, cause there's yeah. otherwise there's too many contingent, too many things I in mean, play. Pitching, pitching will contribute, but like significantly, I don't know who's going to make the significant contribution. I think there's like a group contribution from the minor league pitching staff, but you get that every year. Like the next question is Davey Garcia. What will we see with Davey Garcia? In- yeah. See, I wouldn't even say Davey Garcia is going to c- contribute significantly in 2020. I still think he needs to do a lot in AAA before he gets a real shot in the majors. Will he appear in the majors? I think yes, but I think it's going to come late in the season. Well, I, I so I think there's a I think there's going to be totally it's going to be totally contingent on what they what they see him as uh, in the long term. So one, he could definitely be a trade piece. There's a, a thousand percent. They have they they gave up Justice Sheffield, who was their number one prospect, number one pitching prospect uh, for James Paxton. So we've seen that happen before. Very possible. Um, but is he going to be a starting pitcher or is he going to be a reliever when he comes to the major leagues on a, on a consistent basis? That may change. Who knows? They may they may try him at starting pitcher um, in, in spring training, and then you know have him stretched out, and then make a change, and, and he could become a reliever. It depends on what they do. If he's a reliever, there's I think more of a there's a more direct path for him being a major contributor, because he could be much better. If, if he's the if the ability of Davy Garcia is what we think it is, he's probably better than Sessa, uh, than than Warren, than. Holder than Melizaga, like that guy, talent-wise, uh, you know, if you're if you're talking to some of the scouts and the people who are developing or who are evaluating this talent, probably put Davy Garcia at the top of that. Yeah, and they have you said this, but you have <laughs> they have to decide what's he going to be long term, because you don't want when there's no desperate need, and right now, sitting here, there's no desperate need for him to be in the starting rotation or him to be in the bullpen. So you're not going to dictate what he's doing based on a desperate need. You're going to do what's best for the player in the long term. Right. What? And if there's no, if they're, if they're, they're, if they think, okay, this guy is going to be a major league starting pitcher long term, they're not going to bring him up and put him in the bullpen, just because. Maybe they will in September. Yeah, I mean, they could September do it later in the season. Ups, yeah. But they're not going to do that in July just because. No, it'll be it'll be uh, it'll be need. You know, if if uh, something happens that dictates what they they need uh, another pitcher. Um, and him also, like they're very parallel to him having success in in AAA. I mean, I said this about Loisiga, but it's important. He's got to be able to command the zone. If he can't throw strikes, and I, I think he made uh, significant strides in that. If he's th- well, we saw him struggle a little bit when he went from AA to AAA, but made adjustments and, and pitched very well at the end. I think that yeah. if that's a guy that can make those adjustments and, and they and they see that, that's huge. They the Yankees like like these guys when they when they're making these significant adjustments and uh and and you know like getting to a, a the next level and able to succeed even if they falter in the beginning it's a, it's how you make those adjustments so i think Davey garcia could absolutely be in play for a significant role but um but yeah there's no rush on him there's definitely no rush on him at this point i like question that could change that could change very fast though with what happened last year and the amount of injuries that happened like Davey garcia could be the number 3 starter in june oh, <laughs> Number 19, which Yankee who signed elsewhere will be most missed? So, Didi in Philly, Dylan Batances with the Mets, Austin Romine in Detroit. 
Uh, those are, those will are be the most, three major. most missed like by fans of like compassion, yeah. like that type of the the. Um, so or most miss most miss on the field. I think they're different questions. Yeah, the the most miss on the field. I, I because Glaber stepping into that shortstop spot. I don't think there's a ton there uh, for Didi as far as like what we're missing on the field. Honestly, uh, Batantis definitely could. Could if he's healthy, but Patances wasn't on the field last year. But but we know what he is on the field. That's the oh, thing. we know what he is. If he's healthy and he's pitching for the Mets and he's pitching light out, lights out, it's going to piss a lot of people off. Could it actually be Austin Romine? No, most missed on the field. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not going to be Austin Romine. Austin Romine is not. The, we he will get in a he will get a standing ovation. Maybe not even a standing ovation. He will get a nice ovation when he comes back as the starting catcher for the Detroit Tigers. There will be a very small contingent of Austin Romanites in the outfield stands who are like, yeah, standing ovation People for will Austin clap Romine. for him, though, because he was a very good New York Yankee, I as guess. they should. Yeah, I, I'd say overall it'll be Batances, also because he's with the Mets, so he's got the most visibility a little bit of hate as though, far as Could Yankees be a little fans. bit of hatred there because of that, too. Could Why? It's, but the Yankees didn't offer him anything. You think fans care about that? No. Smart fans do. Well, general... <laughs> Everyday fans don't give a shit about that. They just know where he's pitching, the laundry that are, that is currently on his back, and that he used to be with the Yankees. So uh, if he starts dominating over there and then you know starts chirping a little bit more about the he just wants to win World Series because he did, did just get quoted by that saying, "I just want to go in the best opportunity to win." Well, well, we don't know who else offered him a contract. Right. What if the Mets were the best team to offer him a contract? Right. Could be. Could be. A lot of gray with that statement, but that statement was said. And when there's no context behind that statement, it looks like he chose the Mets over the Yankees. And it looks like that he thinks the Mets are better than the Yankees now. <laughs> well, that's just asinine. <laughs> the last I will one, miss Dylan Batances, but I feel I like, will miss but I feel like I've already missed him because he wasn't there. I will miss Dylan Batances the most. I will miss Didi because I like Didi personally. Like I think I, I became a fan of Didi the player. The guy on the team, like I am everything too. around. So I think I will I will miss having Didi on the field and being like a, just a guy in the in the as part of the cog in the machine. But um, because Batantis wasn't there last year, no. <laughs> Didi played like he wasn't there last year. Number twenty. Will the Yankees win their first World Series since two thousand and nine? I'm not. I'm not answering this question. Why not? Because you love making predictions. Oh, we're gonna you, make you bold predictions. That'll be a, that'll be a separate show. Yeah, that'll be later. That'll be later in the in the. Uh, but I'm not jinxing anything right now. I will say this: they are going to be the favorites, heavy favorites, but probably maybe not heavy favorites, but favorites. I think to win the World Series. This is the best roster, top to bottom, they've had since 2009. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. There's, yeah. There's no. I mean, I don't think that's a question. Actually. I mean, they've had. They won 100 games in 2018, and they improved their roster, and despite injuries, won 103 games last year. And I think winning 103 games last year, they've improved their roster again and have the potential to win more than 103 games this year, get the number one seed in the American League, play all your all your series at home, and they're the favorites for the World Series. That's what the Garrett Cole signing did. Yeah, it did. It's, it swung the balance of power dramatically. That's why you pony up. You drop your nuts on the table and pay $324 million, and that's what that does. Yes, absolutely. It takes a World Series out of out of, out of another American League team, you know, if they were going to sign them. If, well, you, you you the team that just beat you in the playoffs got worse. Yes. Huge. <laughs> you got better. It's, it's a, and you, the margin of difference between those two teams wasn't that big to begin with. 
Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a huge deal. They they should win the World Series this year. I'll say that. My expectations are for them to win the World Series. Mine too, and I think they do. Okay, let's wrap up with out of left field. Find that out. Oh. Sanchez destroys that to left field. There it goes, deep to left, really deep in the air to left field. Back at the track at the wall, we are tied. I pissed on a public building. <laughs> yeah. All right, out of left field, as you may have heard, I got married last October, which means we had countless gifts coming to us from the registry. And if you guys are have registered at any of these companies like Zola, Bed Bath & Beyond, or, or Williams-Sonoma, or Pottery, but wherever you register with, you've probably had frustrations that we had. We would just receive gifts with no label of who sent them to us, no record of who sent them to us. And then we have to go on like the, the scavenger hunt of who bought us a gift. It's extremely frustrating. <laughs> but the <laughs> hashtag first world problems. It's awkward as shit to text someone saying, did you buy me this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so, they're going to get much sympathy on that, but all right. One of the things that uh, – no, you, you, I, think, I, think, I think I will get sympathy on that. I don't think so. We'll see. We'll see, if this, we'll see if Twitter sympathizes. <laughs> they don't sympathize <laughs> with anything except adopted puppies, we found out. So one of the things that uh, happened is we put silverware on our registry. We put 12 sets of silverware on the registry, and a set is five pieces. It's two forks, two spoons, and a knife. Okay, so let me tell you what, first of all, before you even get into this, because it very much threw me off when I saw your notes on this. You said 12 sets of silverware. That's 12 place settings of silverware, not sets of silverware. Place okay, settings. settings. That's a big difference. A set, so one set is 12 of those? 12 place then? settings, yes. 12 place settings, fine. My terminology is off. But what we put on the registry is for 60 pieces of silverware total. And what ended up happening is we – and one box contained 60 pieces or 12 settings. We received six boxes of 12 settings, okay. which equaled a lot. 360 pieces of silverware. And we're like, oh, shit. Did someone mess up and buy us – did people – did it not update and then six different people wanted to buy us this thing, these things? And this is an expensive gift. It's a very yeah. uh, generous gift. So is not cheap. Um, we actually – what happened was, and maybe this is why it happened, is two people went in on the gift together to, to get okay. it. So I don't know if that affected this in any way, but the, the company sent us the six boxes. So we had 360 pieces, but there was only record – of a purchase of one box of this. So we could, so we're, we're calling like, well, we got six of these things. Like, well, we only have record of payment for one box. So we can't refund you for the extra five boxes that you have. Well, then we're like, well, we're not just going to give them back to you for nothing. They're like, we understand that this is our mess up. I guess we have to live with it. The merchandise is now yours. So we're using one box, but we have five extra boxes of silverware just ready to go for the rest of our lives. So what's the problem here? The fact that you have to deal with the, the other five boxes? Because this is there's so many easy solutions, and I know. Did I say there's a problem? No, I, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if you're you guys are like seeing this as a, as a problem. I know you have a a, a checkered history with OfferUp and, and other apps, so trust is now a factor. Oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not about. To, although they are. Are they can't really. They're not broken. They're never used. Are you sure they're, they're not the used? Box. You're, not, you're not going through and like using one spoon on your uh, in your cereal every day. Well, what and I was saying not, to Leanne is disclosing that fact. 
what I was saying to Leanne is let's just gift silverware for the rest of our lives. So why don't why don't you guys you you were just given a gift from whatever company that was, right? Like these are this is an expensive uh, this is an expensive gift. So why not find out who else sells exactly the the, the merchandise that you have? Go and return it and get store credit. We well, can't return something without receipt of purchase. Bullshit. I do it. We tried to do that. Go to a different store that sells it and get store credit. That everybody gives you store credit. Well, that's what we asked for. It was from William Sonoma. We asked for store credit. We'll give you back this merchandise, which you can then sell. Give us store credit for this, and they wouldn't do it. We just have the stuff. Yeah. Um, seems like you could do so it. So that's the frustrating part, is that we have the stuff. And we have nothing to – we have no use for the so stuff. So you're telling me you for go – A long time until maybe eventually the stuff we're using now gets lost or damaged. Oh, no. You don't or, hold on to this. You can't hold on to this. It's, it's like heavy and, and you live in a New York apartment. Like that's, that's, a, that's expensive real estate right there. Well, right. That's another thing. We have a lot of stuff stored at Leanne's parents right now, but it's, we didn't throw it out. We didn't get rid of right. it, obviously. Um, so you're telling me if you walked into a mall and went to like a different Williams-Sonoma and, and you said, hey, we got this as a gift. I don't have the receipt. Um, I haven't tried don't even it. talk and about it, a registry. You say we got it as a gift. Uh, it was we were told it was purchased here, but there's no receipt. Can can we just can we return it for store credit? I guarantee they say yes. I'll try it. the The thing I'm worried about is that the they it all has like a a code on it. Yeah. Every all the boxes have a code on it, like a, a serial number or whatever the code is, which ties back to our registry. Got you. Um. Yeah. So it was just a. It was just a. You go on the black market, up. start selling silver on the black market. It was just a mess up by by the registry, the the shipping. They or just like whatever happened. There was a clerical error, and they just shipped the wrong thing. And going through the process of of the wedding registry, I'm not complaining. All the gifts are great. Yada yada yada. Blah blah blah. But there was a, there's not a seamless process to go through any of this stuff. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. With that we definitely got like mysterious boxes that came in. We had to figure out, um, and then ones that were like. Was that really a gift? Like there were like a couple of them. I remember getting a box from somebody and and sometimes some of these places would separate the orders, right? Because they come from a different warehouse or maybe one was like back ordered or something. So you only get yeah, maybe that's what happened with this. I know, but you only get like part of part of uh, a delivery. Mm. And like sometimes people will package like something small or a bunch of small things or like something small with something big. And like I remember one time we got like these these little pails. Like I don't even know what they were like candle holders or something. I think they were like four dollars a piece. I don't even know why. I don't even know if they were on a registry or not. But it just came with like four of them or three of them, <laughs> and that was it. And but I think it was part of another piece. But we couldn't find where the piece was. The other yeah. we couldn't find. So we had to like thank thank you for the mini pails. You know, <laughs> You're like that's awkward because now someone's thank getting you screwed. For the mini pails that I don't know what to do with and don't know where they track back to yeah and we can't we can't thank them for what they actually you know were giving us because we have how much say did you have in the registry um you know it wasn't really contentious did you put any things that you specifically wanted on there i had a yankees turvis cup on there that was it okay so what's that cost 20 bucks that was like the only thing i put on the other stuff was just stuff for our house because we had just we had just bought a house too so there there was like Uh, clear there were clear needs for us yeah, and we have so that's a, that's another thing we don't have a clear need for a lot of the stuff we receive yeah. at the moment. Right. We will down the line, sure. but uh, the one thing that I was put on and very excited to receive was a Yeti cooler, like a really nice Yeti cooler, yeah. which are which is a very expensive gift. So that was like the the thing I was most excited to use. There you go. That's um yeah. So we, we were like 
very practical with our stuff. And uh, which I think is the, is definitely the way to go. That's why I don't I don't we didn't put uh, China on our China? registry because <laughs> yeah, no, does, do, expensive. Like, I understand. Does anybody China. use China anymore? No, that's why. Yeah. No one our age uses China. No, we no didn't put it on their generation. Who has a China cabinet anymore? Our parents well, do. People just display it and then they'll use it for like one dinner a year, Thanksgiving people meal or don't. whatever. Our parents do. We just our parents did, but they think that's what people want now. So we actually had people asking, "Where's your China?" Yeah. I want to purchase some of your China. We're like, "No, no, no. We have so nice silverware, nice plates and and new everything that we can use every day and also use if we're entertaining." We did the same. We went the exact same way. And I think that when you're going with that uh, on that, because back in the day, China was like, that was a very uh, clear gift that you got at your wedding because it was expensive and everybody Mm -hmm. needed it. And rather than, you know, newlyweds going out and buying China, which was not practical, you would have it on your, uh, as a, as a gift, you would get it as a gift because then, you know, your, your family and relatives can help you out so that when they do, whenever the practicality shifted, thank, thank God, because once you start, like you need stuff. Yeah. To, to get going. And it's very helpful to receive that stuff. It's not helpful to receive stuff you're going to use once a year. No, I mean, we bought a house the year before we got married. Like, after we got engaged, we bought a house. We lived in sin for a year and bought the house. We did that knowing <laughs> that we were going to get married. Um, and, and and so we had, like, literally things to fill. Like, voids to fill. Yeah. I will know. And with a house, it's, it's so much better receiving all that stuff with a house, an actual place to put it rather than opening the box, looking at it, and go, oh, that's nice. Let me box it back up and take it to a, to a basement somewhere. So funny, the, the, the funny, the nice thing about out of left field is it can spiral. So quick, quickly, a funny story. We got, we got plates. We got like a settings of, of plates. We got them from like Pottery Barn. They're like these nice white square plates, like ones that you can use in different, in different uh, times, casual or more formal. But they're very heavy. They're extremely heavy. And we got, I think, 12 play settings because that's what you do. And the um, so we got them out of the box and I had to put them up in our, in our cabinet and I had to separate them because they were so goddamn heavy and they were it was just so much that I separated them um, into different cabinets. Anyway, literally like the day after, my wife, we, we, I put them all in the dishwasher to wash them first before you use them. And Bevan was unloading the dishwasher. And I can't, I can't even say this too loud because if she hears that, I'm going to get... I'm going to get in trouble again because she's going to yell at me. Um, she brought them over and didn't realize how heavy they were. And they get very slippery. Dropped mm. every single one of them. Like the big oh, plates no. just shattered. <laughs> All, we had a tile floor at the time in the kitchen. Shattered. Just like it, it, you can't imagine how many pieces there were. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so my, it, was my, it was a gift from my mom. <laughs> and Bevan was like, don't tell your mom. Like we, yeah. we have to get these back and replace them so that she doesn't know. And one day, like six or seven, whatever it was later, I, I was an ass and told my mom, but I was being like kind of sneaky about it. Like I was, I was on the phone in one of the bedrooms and I was talking to my mom and I was like, yeah. And oh yeah. And I think I slipped on it first. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'll right. just tell you. you wanted to, yeah. You forgot. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, whatever. I'll just tell you. And it turns out the window was open and Bevan was outside in our driveway and heard the whole conversation. <laughs> and she got so mad at me for telling my mom. Anyway, so yeah. now it's a funny story that like the whole dropping of the of the plates uh, shattered and it's uh, and and Bevan ruined my mom's gift. So the dropping of the plates. Uh, it's so many pieces. I mean, I've we've already broken things we've received. Yeah, not on purpose. You'll probably put them on offer up. <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. As I said, go check out the Michael King interview if you have not done so already. Go check out George's box. Anything else, Scott? 
No, man, we're getting into the dog days. I know you got a trip coming up, too. So we got one more. 400 I, is next next week. So Yeah, I can't miss 400. Yeah, we're going to so re- have to be on number we'll 400. We'll record that one a little early. Uh, or a little early. So hopefully nothing major happens, but I doubt it. And if it does, I will uh, I will, I will handle it. Uh, but then you're going to be on a, uh, what, three weeks, right? You're, you're going to be. No, it's two and a half, two weeks, and a half weeks. But I'm, I, th- I'm, I think I'm going to miss three episodes. Okay. Cool. Well, we'll have next next week is 400. Um, if you guys haven't rated and reviewed the show, we haven't asked for this in a long time. Um, so if you're a new listener and haven't done that, we would absolutely love uh, the, uh, the the five-star rating and review. So please go onto iTunes. That's the, the best place to do it, or Apple Podcasts, and uh, and give us a, a review. Tell us why you like the show. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to another week of Nothing Happening in Yankee Baseball. Great stuff. Talk to you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.